0: Hello and welcome to this, the 24th episode of the RISE Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, Angus O'G mcanally Artistic Director of RISE Productions, for want of a better title. A freelance actor first and foremost, more recently a director and producer here at RISE. I'm a 15 year veteran of the Irish theatre scene, even though I'm only 31, and I'm a third generation theatre maker because I was born into the maddest family going. And as ever we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And following on from those two announcements we had last week, I'm delighted to be able to this week announce that we have cast uh, Fight Night for the tour over to Glasgow to the Mayfesto Festival, which is massively exciting for me uh, because we've got an exceptional actor to take it on uh, and a guy who arguably has the best boxing credentials of any actor on the island of Ireland. Um, the brilliant Michael Sheehan is going to take over uh, in Fight Night for me and I am thoroughly delighted. Mike is a super guy and a great mate of mine. Uh, some of you may remember that when I was back directing for the Text Messages Festival, I brought Mike in to play Romeo for me on Romeo and Juliet. He's a guy I've got a track record of working with. Like I said, his boxing pedigree is second to none. Uh, and uh, he's just an amazing actor and I'm so, so delighted that he is going to be on board for that. And of course, I can now reveal that the reason why I won't be um, continuing the Fight Night for the moment is that because of the very happy news that I have been invited to join the cast of The House at the Abbey, which I am thoroughly over the moon about. Uh, I mean, this year, it's it's 10 years since I made my debut uh, in the Abbey. So it's nice to be back uh, in there to continue the work, you know, I, it's just, it's one of those magical places to work. We've had quite a few guests on the podcast over the weeks talk about it um, and, and talk about what a special place it is in, in the kind of the heart of the nation. Um, and for me, it has a particularly special place because it is one of those things where it is not an exaggeration to say without the Abbey Theatre, I wouldn't be here today. My grandparents met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Abbey stage. Uh, it's a place I feel very much at home. You know, I grew up kind of running around the rehearsal rooms and, and dressing rooms back there. So it's, it's just one of to be back in there uh, and to be working with Annabelle again Annabelle is a director that I last worked with when I was um, in college Uh, so it's lovely to be back working with her again and the cast this is something I was saying before I had any even indication that I'd be brought in to audition for this show but that cast is for my money the best cast of Irish actors assembled on a stage anywhere in the last 5 or 10 years I was thoroughly excited about seeing the show uh, but now the prospect of being in the show is just phenomenal I'm really looking forward to it and also to working on it's my first time Working on a Tom Murphy play, which is massively exciting as well, because uh, you know he's just such a phenomenal writer. So overall, I think it's going to be a, a happy, happy situation for me. It's going to be tight and it's going to be busy um, because I'm going to have to try and coordinate the whole fight night tour as well while doing it. So it'll be a hectic little time in, the, in here at Rise Towers, but uh, we'll get through it and. Uh And it's all very exciting. So just a nice little follow on from those announcements last week. And of course, as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We promise that we'll never ever charge for these interviews. But we are, of course, looking for you to put your money where your mouth is and support Irish Theatre. And the best way to do that is, of course, going out there and buying tickets. And as ever, we will be bringing you our weekly roundup of what is going on around town. So you'll have a full list of things that are on that you can go and buy tickets to. So there's absolutely no excuse. Get out there, support Irish Theatre, put your money where your mouth is and help keep this whole machine going. Of course, if you don't have so much money in your arse pocket, you can support us on the podcast here and help us spread the word uh, by helping in ways that don't cost any money. You can tell people about the podcast, uh, subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, go back and listen to our other episodes, leave a review on iTunes, please, or simply click to rate us on that five-star rating system. You can follow us, Rise Productions, on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And, of course, we always mention every week that you can support theatre companies on Fundit.ie, and one of the campaigns that we've supported here at Rise Productions in the last number of weeks is uh, is that of Devious Theatre Company and their forthcoming production of Night of the Living Dead. And so our guest this week is from Devious Theatre Company. It's the brilliant John Morton, who is one of those annoyingly talented guys who can just do it all. He is a great actor, um, a very astute director, and a brilliant writer to go with it, and a guy who just produces things and makes it happen. Uh, and I think this is a really interesting perspective from a guy who is making work outside of the little cocoon bubble in Dublin and in Temple Bar, I guess, uh, because they're based down in Kilkenny and it's a really interesting site from, an interesting insight from, you know, a young regional emerging theatre company and, uh, you know, if, you know, for those of us trying to make work around Dublin, we might think it's hard at the moment, it's that bit harder when you're trying to do it outside of the capital, so it's a really interesting insight into into John himself and into the work at Devious Theatre Company. Uh, as usual, I'm not going to rabbit it on too much before we get into it, here it is, the brilliantly talented John Morton. The wonderful John Morton, thank you so much yes. for joining us on the podcast. Is it true to say you are officially the podcast number one fan? I think so. Yeah, that's why I got this. <laughs> you won a competition, so yeah. Won I you. just I just retweeted my way onto the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Right, we do this every week. You know the drill. Let's take it back to the very beginning. Why, in the name of Jesus, does anyone in their right mind go into this career? How did it start for you? Where did it all begin? Um, I, I, don't know, I guess I was pretty young when I, you know, I started
1: off wanting to be an actor. You just do that thing where you watch a film and you watch on great in my case it was Gary Oldman I remember watching Dracula and like just seeing him play like five different kind of creatures and thinking that looks really really cool and I was very young and impressionable so it just seemed like hey somebody gets paid for that I might as well do it <laughs> um and then like in terms of theatre things didn't really start to kick off until like a lot of people I suppose I um I started working in youth theatre and that's where you kind of start to you know to find your feet a little bit and make just shit loads of
0: mistakes. (laughs) Well, so talk to me about then starting off in new theatre. How early did you start then? And Um, where was this? This is Kilkenny.
1: Yeah, it was in Kilkenny. Um, In Kilkenny, uh, we're very lucky to have this really cool production company called Young Irish Filmmakers. Um, And it's been going for about 20 years, but you know it started off for the first 10 years it was focusing exclusively on young people making films and then um back in like 1990 2000 it started it set up a youth theater um and I got really excited about that because at the the time there wasn't really any kind of youth theater set up certainly in Kilkenny that I could get excited about it was all kind of you know just musicals and and that kind of shit. I'm, yeah. I can't sing, and I can't dance. <laughs> and I just wanted to, no, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and I just wanted to act, so then all, the, all of a sudden this youth theatre was set up, and um, I just got really excited about it. And the first production, um, Mike Kelly, who runs Young Irish Filmmakers, he, um, he just got very, very kind of cheeky, I guess, and he rang Point and Films in London, and he said, look, we, were, we set up this youth theatre, um, can we have The Life of Brian um, to do? And they and they, they just they just said yes. Like they didn't even they didn't even charge for it. And it was the first I think it's still the only stage production of Life of Brian that's been been done. They did it again because you might as well if you can get it for free. Wow. But yeah, that was the first like youth theater production. So literally the first play I was in properly was The Life of Brian. And that was when, like, when I was like sixteen. Jesus,
0: that's jumping at the deep end, man. It's yeah. Kind of like, go big or go home. What do we do for our first one? Let's go with Life of Brian. Yeah,
1: might as well go with Python, yeah, why not? And it was it was cool because you know, you've got such an awareness of that kind of style of comedy growing up, and yeah. then to get to do it was just brilliant. And you know, you're very impressionable at that age, so um, you know, it really does kind of mould how you perform comedy. And I guess then a lot of the plays then we did in youth theatre after that were really just informed by that first play. Even when we did like Shakespeare, and even when we were doing Busico, it was all yeah. with a with a slight kind of Monty point and bent to it.
0: And how involved would you guys have been as a youth group in taking it from the movie that we all know and love into being on stage? Did you have a writer come in and adapt it? Did you guys work on it and workshop
1: it? No, he literally he printed off the film script and just gave it to us. (laughs) So we're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, we'll take it and we'll go with it. But but it's cool because, I mean, the whole, I guess the whole ethos of that company in general is about young people going in and just doing it, doing it for themselves. You know, and like, you know, when I've listened to this podcast before and I've heard people talking about Dublin Youth Theatre, it seems like a really similar vibe in that... You're just throwing pe- young people in the deep end, and they're learning by doing. So we got to do everything from like you know in terms of like devising and rehearsing and directing and you know the whole shebang. We got to do it from a pretty early age. So it was a really good education in terms of just making theatre. And if mistakes are made, it's you know your fault. Right. Okay. You know, it's not anybody else's.
0: And- had you started off exclusively once it branched out into the theatre wing or had you been involved in the
1: filmmaking as well? Yeah, I, I started off in the filmmaking part of it um, because, uh, you know, I just, I, at, that, at that age, I mean, I was, I was just, you know, into like Tarantino and, and Kevin Smith and that kind of yeah. stuff. So, you know, I, I had notions of being a, um, of being a, of being a writer, which um, I still have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still just clinging on to them. Um, so I started with writing, but I mean, acting was was always what I wanted to do. You know, um, I guess as a first port of call. So um, I started off like working on the screenwriting program that I had gone up there, and then when the youth theatre was set up, I was like, great, this is finally finally an opportunity to act.
0: So here comes the question that we have to ask many of our guests on this podcast what are you? In, in your head, do you know, do you have a label that sits comfortably with you? Are you actor first and foremost? Are you writer? Are you actor-writer? Are you director? Um,
1: yeah, fuck, I don't know. Um, you know, I remember when we were doing, um, we were doing text messages and, and Lara Hickey first contacted me about it and she was like, you know, the initial contact was like, I'm not exactly sure what you are, but <laughs> do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, I guess I would say that I'm an actor, I guess first and foremost. Okay. But um, I mean, I trained as an actor. Yeah. You know, um, so I, you know, trained as an actor for three years, and I figured, okay, this is what I want to do. But I, then, I guess, like a lot of actors, you get to that point where you're like, okay, the jobs aren't flowing in. Um, it's it's not that easy. Are I, you
0: suggesting that the only reason I have a podcast is because I'm? Not no, of course not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't I sign that confidentiality agreement? <laughs> Um, but you, you you know what it's like you, you got to you know you got to kind of create your own vehicles and yeah. then uh, you know I got out of got out of college like I graduated from DIT and um and you know immediately when you just don't, you you do a couple of auditions but you're not getting jobs and after a while that kind of strange desperation um you know when when you're not immediately getting getting work yeah. you just kind of go fuck I got to I got to make something yeah. and that's how that kind of started for me Talking then a bit about the time
0: into DIT. How useful was it for you? I mean, having tried out so many different elements of theatre and filmmaking before you got there, what extra polish was that bringing to you? What what did that three years do for you?
1: Um, It did an awful lot. I mean, I really think that the the DIT acting course doesn't get as much credit as it should. And it's only really now, because the the landscape of Irish theatre training has changed so much in the past 10 years, it's only now that the DIT course is starting to get, I think, more recognition um which is great uh, what
0: was it the correlation that you yeah, had the trinity course which is Lear, and the gaiety as kind of the two main pillars and then do, did it feel a bit like it was kind of the you know
1: red headed stepchild <laughs> yeah stepchild. um no it, we definitely had the awareness when we were there that um you know that we wouldn't get the breaks maybe that you know like graduates from other from other colleges would do um and this one time I remember like I, I auditioned for I I, re- I really wanted to go to Trinity but it was my year of auditioning was the year that Trinity they didn't let in any new oh, students yeah, it was I, I mean, 2000, 2002, yeah. because obviously I would have got in <laughs> yeah. but I was like shit like you know I can't I can't go for the Trinity course so um, I decided I go for the DIT course because it it seemed like a good course and um, I just I just wanted to train I just didn't want to hold out for another year and try and you know break my balls trying to get into Trinity and then you know maybe not get in. Um, So I went and did the DIT course, and it's fantastic. I think it really it produces really well-rounded actors, and we kind of had that awareness that maybe, like in some cases, people would see that as being slightly detrimental because, you know, it's like you're you're not getting one hundred percent intensive actor training. You're getting like seventy five percent actor training, but you know you're also training in you know drama and education, and you're training in you know there's there's a film study strand and. um, there's a lot of extra facets to that course that other courses, I suppose, that are wholly 100% actor training. But I guess that's,
0: but like you say, it's churning out more well-rounded actors, but also people with more tools and more of a comprehensive skill set to actually keep a career sustained in yeah, the business. Yeah, I mean, because the old kind of conservatory system of just training actors to be actors and to wait for the phone to ring... Certainly, at the moment, isn't necessarily the greatest way to be going to train people. I don't think. No, I and mean, to be honest, like retrospectively now, you know, having graduated from the course, because
1: at the time you're kind of a little bit worried that fuck, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm not a gay a gay student and I'm not a Trinity student. Yeah. Um, that maybe it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a negative. But you know, as as time has gone on, I've definitely found it to be a positive. You end up with a lot more strings to your bow, and that's really helped. And you know, the quality of tutors there is fantastic. I mean, we we had some great, we we had tutors that. Um, you know, a lot of the other the other courses had as well, yeah. which, you know, we were really lucky. We had people like Alec Clark and Michael McCabe um, and Marie Momar and Paul Burke. It was it was yeah. really good, like, they, they had a really good lineup of, of tutors in that course. So we had a really broad range of disciplines
0: and of really good people from those disciplines. Was there anything that surprised you about that training? Was there anything that you found you took to, like, a duck to water that you didn't expect to... Or was there anything that was particularly difficult? for uh, Not singing and dancing.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, those those are those are blemishes on my report card. Um, but I tried, I tried. You um, I, I mean, I love things like critical analysis was a big part of it, which was which was really kind of which which was really cool. And we ended up doing a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have gone near otherwise. You know, like feminist critical theory, things like that. that right, you no, just don't you don't expect when you're going in. Um, but it's cool, I mean, it, it was really good for getting a good sense of um, the wide range of theatre that is out there, and, and not just from a performance standpoint, but even from an analytical standpoint. Um, and it was just very diverse, so I, I felt coming out of there that I was really well-rounded. Um, and I think that's a, definite, that's a definite bonus when you do that course, and that's why I think, you know, if, if actors are looking for a good training course in Ireland, I think it
0: is one of the best ones you can do. So talk to me then about that transition from having graduated there into going, right, I'm interested in making my own kind of work. You have the track record of doing it from, you know, the the youth theater days before. How did those things start to come into effect?
1: Um, It it came from really just, um, in terms of, I mean, being from from Kilkenny and from the Southeast in general, uh, there wasn't an awful lot of theatre for younger people. I mean, there was there was there's young people, you know, there's children's theatre, yeah. but, but there wasn't for any, anyone between their late teens and you know thirties. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't really anything there, and we saw um, there was a couple of us who had all we were either you know in training or just coming out of training, um, and we just we just saw a gap there for for theatre for young people new theater and new theatre and something that was even slightly alternative, and that's how we kind of started working
0: on our own stuff, and that's where Devious came from. Well then, okay. Let's let's tackle the devious theatre mountain. Then, talk to me about that coming about. Talk to me about um, about the shows you've been making over the last few years because you've been steadily ticking away over the last few years.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, we've been um, yeah, we've done a lot. I mean, we've done f- I think fourteen productions in the. We've been going five years. Wow. Um, we've done fourteen productions. I mean, it hasn't necessarily been been easy, but um, you know, we've been building a profile, and I think. Um, our work has been getting better and we're getting better and, you know, slowly but surely, it's 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 getting out there. Um, but it is it is hard, I think, for any kind of, I suppose, young emerging regional theatre company um, at the moment as well. Um, so that's why it's kind of been very necessary, I guess, to, like, we're, we've done a lot of work and I think we've done a lot of work because we figure, you know, like, the, the more stuff we do, the more stuff it's gonna get seen, yeah. you know? So there is a slight edge of kind of like, you know, throwing shit at a wall. Um, but you know we've been we've been doing it because there's an audience there for it
0: right okay
1: and that was very clear from the get go I mean we set up in 2006 and we didn't initially we, we, we you know we did we started with an original play and we just didn't think anybody was going to go see it and it packed out you know um, and then we were able to do like another two productions of that off the back of that and that's when we kind of realised okay like there is definitely an audience that we're catering for that aren't being catered for. And I think that's a really important thing for a theatre company, especially nowadays.
0: Well, of course it is. And you hear people like Philly McMahon from This Is Pop, maybe, talking about that seeing that niche in the market where, you know, there are the plays that your parents and dentists and doctors like to go and see in yeah. the Abbey and the Gate. And then there is that whole section kind of where. You know, young people are looking for theatre that speaks to them, that you know invigorates the medium for them. Yeah, I mean, there, there was there just there just wasn't an awful lot of that. I mean, when I was when
1: I was in college in Dublin, I was living up here, and the theatre I wasn't going to see, or the theatre I was going to see, wasn't that theatre because at that time it didn't really seem to be being made. Yeah. And now there's loads of it. I think it's fantastic because there really is a great energy, and there's a really good renewed energy. Um, especially in Dublin. And I think when it happens in Dublin, it kind of just permeates. It just kind of spreads out into the rest of the country. And I think it's a good time for young theatre audiences at the moment because yeah. of the, the sheer range of stuff that's been produced and how enthusiastic people are about producing that.
0: What is your role with Devious Theatre? Are you head honcho? Is it a big collective? Is Does everyone have their own little niche within it? Um, it's, it's a collective,
1: pretty much. But... Um, yeah, like we all have our own niches. I think more so in the past like two or three years, I've been more kind of guiding the, I guess the creative direction of it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, initially when we started off, we we all had a really, um, you know, we, we, we all had a stake in it. So we were, a lot of the shows were, I guess, um, yeah, there, there were, I suppose there were more devious. There were more, there, there was a bigger diversity in the stuff we were doing. Uh, and now we're still trying to keep that diversity, but we're really trying to channel it through, um, I guess, a, a more concerted style
0: sure. of theatre. So that people can go, oh, that's very
1: definitely yeah. a devious show. Exactly, yeah. So you're trying to brand it more so, and that's what we've been kind of doing in the past three years or so, is really just trying to um, pin down... Because you, 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 do, you do that point where you, you know, you go nuts and you try loads of ideas and you try a lot of different things and yeah. load of dresses and see what fits. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, and then you kind of go, okay, well, this isn't working for us and this is working for us and you kind of... Um, you kind of tally up you know what's been working and what hasn't and then you
0: just try and refine that and hone it so i mean you talk about the challenges for any emerging theatre company particularly a young theatre company at the moment how what are the extra challenges or benefits even of, of doing that outside of the cocoon of temple bar and dublin in general what is it like doing that in regional theatre in inverted commas
1: um I guess there's one there's one really big pro and there's one really big con. The really big pro is that you can make your mistakes out of the glare of anyone noticing it. Yeah. Cuz I I've, I've seen that with a lot of I suppose with a lot of um like younger theatre companies in Dublin who you know in their first two or three years really get heavily criticized and scrutinized as well. And it's almost like it, it, it there doesn't seem to be I mean you can experiment and you can play but I suppose when you're when when people are competing for spots and people are competing for venues and funding, um, you're just going to be up against a lot more scrutiny. And what's been nice for us is that we've been able to develop our work and develop our company slightly out of that glare. So that when we, as, as we have done in the past, like two years or so, when we have been getting opportunities to showcase our work to a Dublin audience, um, it's good. It's in good shape. Yeah. And we're confident that, okay, you know, we've got this the best we can before delivering it. And we're not you know those baby steps aren't really um those baby steps aren't been done under that kind of that kind
0: of glare. Is it hard to draw an audience from outside of the immediate vicinity of Kilkenny? Or, or, and, or and or is that even a concern of yours do you think that if there's enough of an audience there locally then provide the product for that or, or local audience
1: no like there, there is there is an audience there and i think it is important as with any company whether you're a dublin theater company or Cork theater company or galway or limerick that you you got to serve that immediate audience because they are why you exist yeah. but at the same time for sustainability you have to be able to bring in as many people as you can um and very early on I suppose this kind of leads me to what the major con of being a younger theatre company, um, a regional theatre company in Ireland is at the moment. It's, as well we found it anyway, it's nearly nigh impossible to get a review. Like, it's, it's so fucking hard. Um, and we've, you know, we've gone five years without that particular kind of seal of approval because that um, that creates this really horrible double-edged short where we, we go to venues in Dublin as we have done over the past couple of years. Yeah. And there's, you know, they're looking at what you've got and... You're trying to pitch your show and you're having meetings with people, but you you don't you don't have an Irish Theatre Magazine review and you don't have an Irish Times review, and then the, the other side of that is it's very hard to get those reviews unless you're doing a show in a venue in Dublin. Yeah. Um. And that's kind of that's something we've really been struggling with, um, because we just we've every show we've done we've done 14 productions. I mean we've really tried to get people to come down and see them, um, reviewers especially the reviewers that matter. Yeah. And we're still knocking. Really? Yeah. I mean it's fourteen productions. I mean it's a lot of it's a lot of fucking press releases. Yeah. Um it's a lot of phone calls and it's a lot of emails. But no, we haven't got we haven't got anything. I mean we got our first Irish we got our first Irish theatre magazine review when we did Scratcher in Dublin. Right. Okay. So it took us getting to Dublin to do the show to get a show reviewed. Wow. Um and I don't think that sets a good
0: precedent for young regional companies. And you see, because, you know, to my Michael, Kenny is big enough that it's not, and it's near enough that it shouldn't be that much of a trek to get people down.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's it. I I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess that's a conversation to have with yeah. those people. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, you try your best and you try and make sure that the, the, um, that the word carries and you're delivering a good product. And I guess that's why we, we put a very big onus on social media, because yeah. that that has been the best way for us to create awareness of, our company and our work, and we're very lucky that we've had some um, we've had some really good champions there because there's a really good you know there's a really good blogger network, yeah. And Twitter has really blown up for theatre in the past two years or so, um, so that was something we we try to utilise very early on. Um, Because if you can't get people to come and review your shows for... If people won't review your shows for
0: Irish Times or don't review for Irish Theatre Magazine, you really need to find a way of getting it out there and get people kind of talking about it. And also with the added credence that those reviews get. I mean, you know, when you're getting a bad review and someone says, "Ah, that's only one person's opinion. But not if it's going to be something that is asked for on Arts Council applications or is helping you, you know, knock in the door of venues that you're trying to get into that you haven't been playing before. I mean, they they do carry a lot of weight.
1: They do carry a lot of weight. Yeah, I know. I mean, and... um yeah, no, like I know. Like I listened to, like I listened to your interview with Peter Cawley when you, you asked him that question, yeah. and I, I definitely think it is a case where if you, you know, if, if you do get a a good review, not even a good review, if you get a review, there's definitely an awareness there that okay, well, this is this company is legit, yeah, and um, you know, it's not even about getting good reviews. It's yeah. about it's about getting it's but about it getting people to engage with the work. Well yeah, that's it, there's an engagement with the work and also it, it creates, um, it, it, it definitely creates more of an air of legitimacy yeah. when, when you are looking for a venue and you want to do a run and you are going to a festival and you are going to the Arts Council. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely been a problem um, because there aren't that many outlets for reviews and I think that's why more so, you know, when we realize that, okay, you know, we, we, we're, like we're still trying, but yeah. you know, you kind of go, right, we're not getting the reviews, those type of reviews. Yeah. could really make a difference. So that's when you try and really start branching it out into people who, and, and there are more people that are doing it, like like theater bloggers and people who are reviewing online. And um, that's definitely helped us because those people are way, way more, I think, willing to engage with younger
0: companies and emerging companies and different work. Talk to me then, I mean, you say that the style has been pretty diverse over the last couple of years. Is there one show... That if you you know if you had to lock a devious show in a time capsule, and say this is us, this is who we are, is the one show that stands out in your mind of those fourteen productions. says, This best sums up who we are. Um, I guess probably, I, I guess probably Scratcher.
1: We, we did that during the uh, Theater Machine last year project, yeah. and um, you know we were kind of confident going into it that it was the best kind of encapsulation of the type of work we do. Um, generally speaking, I mean. Everything we've done pretty much has been has been comedy, right? Okay, you know, um, because I think that's that's our strong suit, and I think that's a particular, um, it's a particular niche that I think we've proven we're good at. So everything we do, we try and do with a certain amount of comic sensibility, because I guess that's where a lot of our influences came from. Because when we were talking about when we first set up the company, I mean, you know, we we weren't really looking at what anyone else was doing in Ireland so much. We were talking about like we were talking kind of Commedia dell'arte Monte, Monty Python um, that even even go back to Dion Busco that kind yeah. of that kind of stuff um, that you can kind of play around with a little bit and you can just mess I guess and then you it, you know it creates a certain type of an energy that when an audience go in you can hopefully you know hit them right in the face with it
0: wow it's good stuff so then okay this is kind of harking back a bit to the time in, in youth theatre there is a, is there a parallel track with Microfilms um, Yeah but Microfilms I guess more. I guess it's more Like my day
1: job um, a, lot, <laughs> a lot of the time It's like you know When, te- when theatre isn't really uh, Paying the bills um, I suppose like a lot of people You kind of You know You're trying to look for film work um, But that was really uh, Because I guess It's something that I I grew up doing I grew up making theatre In tandem with making films Yeah And I've kind of carried that Through into my adult life And then in, D- in DIT as well there, there was a really good Film studies strand so that just kept it going as well.
0: So is it a pretty comfortable crossover for you between the two genres as such? Um,
1: it's comfortable to cross over, but I like I don't necessarily know if it's the best idea because sometimes you think, Jesus, you know, maybe I'm just spreading myself too thin. Yeah. Um, which is always a concern that you you don't think you're potentially doing the best work in one area because you're doing too much work in a couple of areas. Um but I do enjoy working on film, and as I said, like I mean sometimes when you gotta pay the bills, it's you know, it's it, it's good to have that option. Um but you know, I, I, guess, I it's not mutually exclusive. I mean, yeah. you're still, you know, you're, you're trying to tell stories as much as you can.
0: And when you are coming up with a new project, a new idea, is there? Does it happen in your head that you go, absolutely, this will be a stage show, or absolutely, this is something I want to do um, film wise? Or, or do you kind of find as the idea evolves that it'll slip into one or the other?
1: Sometimes, sometimes it, it slips into one or the other. I, mean, I remember we did Smitten last year, which was. Um, one of our sh- one of our sh- I, I wrote it we did a production of it back in two thousand and eight, and we did it last year in in Kilkenny in Cork and initially, I remember when I first started writing that, it was a film, and then I kind of slipped out of it and I thought, you know it's actually because it was, it was very musical and there was a lot of s- song and dance yeah um and I just thought that it was something that as I was plotting it out, it was more inherently kind of theatrical, so those things do happen like because you you get a story, and then you're like, well, what's the best method to tell the story yeah um and, yeah, sometimes it stri- sometimes you know from the beginning, but sometimes it just kind of strikes you when you're sketching out ideas. You're like, you know, this would actually make a good yeah. play. Or it's a good short play, or it's a good featuring play. Yeah. Um, but I'm
0: never entirely sure until I start doing it. Talk to us then about some more of the stuff that you've been making for screen. There is a couple of, is there a couple of ongoing web series and stuff? Yeah, we've got,
1: well, yeah, we've got one called Vultures, which we're, we've been kind of like tipping away at it progressively over the past, like, five years. Um, and we're on the Digital Comedy Lab with it at the moment, which... Um, it's kind of like a it's kind of an like Irish English competition okay um, that's hopefully geared towards making a feature film if we're lucky um, so we're kind of working away on that but we've been, we've been recent episodes kind of sporadically um, and it's, it's it's a lot of fun I mean it's just a lot of it feels like knocking about with your mates um, are you suggesting
0: that this podcast is knocking around with your no, mates no not at all confidentiality <laughs> agreement
1: gotta keep that one to mind no not at all this is completely professional um but yeah like it's it's, it's, it's just another outlet um, and I think you know with the with the internet being the way it is um, it's so much easier to get stuff out there yeah. and you know I just I work from a basis of being I guess I'm just kind of I just find myself being kind of fucking antsy an awful lot of the time and I don't like sitting around waiting too long so I kind of it's good to get something out there Yeah, and um, which is you know it's a good thing and a bad thing because you just go okay like I just want to do it so I'm just going to do it and then you kind of do it and you put it out there. Um, I'd get very impatient about waiting around for too long, having to develop something. And just so a certain gatekeeper
0: is going to say, well, yeah, you can you can do this. And in terms of the spark of those ideas and whether they're going to fall into stage or screen or whatever, do you, as they're coming to you, do you go, I want to be, I have a very clear idea of, of this as a writer, or do you go, I have an idea for a show that I would love to direct, I wish someone else would write it. I mean, do you, at what stage are you falling into those... Um, it, it's, it really, again, or, just, it's or really, does it happen? It, it just kind of happens because,
1: um, you know, I was, as I said, I tra- trained as an actor. and I think acting is really—it's my first love. It's what I what I would just love to do exclusively. But I know that it's not—it's not the easiest job in the world, and I don't like sitting, you know, waiting for phone training <laughs> at all. Um, so, like, writing was an extension of that, and. Uh, directing then just became a marriage of convenience yeah. <laughs> I was like does anybody want to direct this and then nobody puts their hands off so you're like fuck it so you kind of like write like an actor and direct like a writer I don't know okay so it's a weird kind of a mix I, I don't know how people I see some people who fall, fall into that to become like writers and directors and um, you, you know like when you, like I've gone to see like a few Conor McPherson plays where he does that and I'm like But he, like, after that, like, spending so long working in the script, would he just not like to just hand it over to someone? (laughs) But uh, evidently with some people there is a certain, like, element of uh, being a control freak, so maybe I've got that as
0: well. What is the writing process like for you? Is it half four in the morning waiting for the spark to hit, or is it diligent up at half eight every morning, cup of tea, sitting down at the typewriter? Definitely. And or laptop, as we're now in the 21st century. Just about, yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, I I function a lot better doing that kind of, like, Get up, have a cup of tea, set a time aside. So generally, in terms of writing, I would try and write ten to five. You know,
0: really, yeah, and do the full work
1: day. Yeah, right I, through. I try to. I mean, you know, if you can just, as you know, you got the internet there, unfortunately, which <laughs> has everything in the world um, ever on it, and that's a bit of a distraction. But I think once you kind of set the time aside, you go for. It. And I, I would generally try and treat it like being in a rehearsal room because. You know if you are rehearsing something and you're, you know you're doing a 10 to 5 day or a nine to six or whatever you are kind of you don't have those distractions anyway so you just yeah. all you're focusing on is the work so I try and replicate that in as much
0: as I can in my pajamas for a cup of tea <laughs> and is it always a solo endeavor for you given the kind of collective nature of the company is it always a solo endeavor in terms of the writing or does it become more collaborative occasionally
1: Very rarely has it been a solo endeavor. I think uh, I I think in terms of my plays, like Smitten was pretty much a solo endeavor. Um, But when I I did like the first play we did with Devious Tape Final, um, which I wrote, which was my first kind of I guess play proper to write, and that was very much part of a devising process, um, which is great. Um, Scratcher kind of started off being devised. And everything else since then has been, I think it's, I, I I really, like as as an actor, I just love the process of getting into a space with people and just throwing around loads of ideas and then coming out of that rather than uh, having a very kind of mechanical way of approaching it. Because I think actors are always going to bring a lot more to a script than I think sometimes they get credit for, I guess. Yeah. Um. And I, I like playing fast and loose with text. I don't like just sticking rigidly to, you know. Yeah to certain particular readings or a reading I would have in my head. I think if it, sound, if, 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 if it sounds better, then cool. That's going to make the play better.
0: Well, there's a certain writer that we at Rose Productions are very fond of, and that's a certain Mr. Gavin Costick, yes. uh, who has written many wonderful plays. Best of all, of course, being Flight Night. But Indeed. you had a chance to work with him. Is this developing a new show recently? Yeah, it's developing a new show. It's, um, a, a, yeah,
1: it's a new show that will hopefully go into production um, next year. But, I don't know,
0: <laughs> funds the way they are <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but yeah, we are definitely de- developing it with an eye to doing it next year. Sure, and what was that process like of having Gavin down as an outside dramaturgical eye?
1: You know, brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic. It was one of the best things that, certainly for me as a writer, um, and for the company uh, that we've we've got to do. Because we, we've had the benefit of having some really um, nice... Uh, you know, on certain projects we've had people who come in and kind of mentor us in some way which has been really beneficial like we got we were really lucky to get Annie Ryan for a day on Scratcher which absolutely transformed the play right um, and you know we've had we've had Ken Burke before who's really helped us out and it's cool to have people like that who can really you know just get the benefit of their wisdom yeah and it's like you know what keep, about keep referring I'm, I'm like a I'm like a uh, Irish theatre podcast nerd, I keep going back to like old <laughs> interviews, but I don't know, I, I remember um, the, the Alan Stanford interview he did when he was talking about the lack of mentorship yeah. for a lot of young young companies and emer- emerging theatre makers, and he was absolutely right, like, there isn't an awful lot, so when you do get it, you really just want to grab onto it with both hands. So we, we got Gavin Costic for a weekend, and we got to lock him into our basement, in Kilkenny which was cool um, and we were all the better for it and so was the, so was the play.
0: and you know we are talking earlier on about you know reviews and the kind of legitimacy that that brings and the seal of approval is having you know Fishamble flying in for a, a weekend to kind of lend their seal of approval does that have an added benefit as well
1: absolutely yeah I mean simply like the process of having Fishamble behind us and yeah. having the benefit of their absolute wealth of experience yeah. Um, it's 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 massive for a young company. It's huge, um, and it really makes a big difference in terms of the attention that you're gonna get from, I guess, other. I mean, it was really it's, it's really nice to be able to you know write arts council applications with with that. It, it helps. Yeah. I mean, um, and for a company like Fishamble who have put so much into developing Irish theatre in you know, over the past twenty five years, uh, and their track record is massive. Like it's 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 immense, and it's a huge thing for us to be. I guess to have like in some small way some kind of seal of approval from them,
0: and also for you, as a you know as a solo performer entity in your own <laughs> right. But you, but you as writer, a nice way to start that relationship with them as well for stuff further down the road. If if you if that's the way you wanted to go, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, that would be that'll be great. Yeah, I mean, it is nice to to start that relationship. Um, I, I guess early on when you are, I suppose. Uh, Emerging—that word is used so much—but you know, <laughs> everyone's emerging. Um, but yeah, like it's—it's it, great to get it early on. I think before, I—I um, I, I guess while your style is still a little bit more flexible, you know, that you are—you're still trying out new different forms, and your writing is kind of taking different shapes, and your way of working hasn't completely kind of uh, become concrete yet. Yeah. And it's—it's it's really good. I mean, having Gavin for that weekend was beneficial. I mean, he's just so—he's so astute and um just really really practical yeah you know there was just no bullshit it was it was completely practical it was very practical kind of cause and effect stuff it was great and um he thoroughly went through the script and it just by the end of it after a weekend i mean we we had a much better play than we had on saturday morning wow. starting it
0: right we cannot leave this podcast without talking pro wrestling Yes. Because we are, we are two big pro wrestling nerds. And it is one of those things that you kind of feel a little embarrassed talking about occasionally. But, you know, for me, here's the thing. I, I kind of take a perverse pleasure in being in a rehearsal room and having people referencing Fellini movies and obscure Beckett yeah. plays and, you know, Salmon Rushdie novels. When I will kind of make a point of only referencing Bruce Willis movies and pro wrestling. Um, talk to me about why you enjoy it so much and... Tell me a little bit about how you feel there are similarities between what they do and what we do.
1: Oh man, I like I, I don't know why more people don't see the correlation between like theatre and pro wrestling. I, I guess it's I guess it's because you can dismiss it so easily. And in fairness, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of men in, in spandex and baby oil throwing baby each oil, other around. Yeah. Yeah, throwing each other around. But um I, I guess, like, you know, actually, you know, going back to my initial question, I guess in a way that I hadn't realized, maybe my love of theater started with watching that stuff. And and the two of them go hand in hand in so many ways. Um, not not just in, like, not just because it's men in spandex, but um, there's a real, like, it's it's physical storytelling, you know. And I think once you take out, like, the, you know, the, the obvious hurdles straight away when you start trying to have, like, pro wrestling conversation with a normal person yeah is um, okay yeah we, we know it's fake and we know it's predetermined but um, it's that kind of I, I guess the craft of like telling a story in a ring yeah and manipulating an audience and the emotions of an audience and how to really ratchet that up to a point where people are out of their seats and they're shouting and they're cheering and I find that really relatable with uh, with theatre in a lot of ways because it's, it's, it's a similar effect. You know, you've got a live audience and you really need to manipulate them to, you know, t- to get to a point, like a point of catharsis. Yeah. Um, and ideally, that's what you'll, you'll do, that people will go out and go, wow, I really wanted this to happen, but, you know, whatever,
0: cause and effect, yeah. you know. Um, and that's what I love about pro wrestling and it, it, how theatrical it is. Yeah, I mean, me too. I mean, for me, and I always get done for this, but for me, it is the, the purest example of kind of that classic Greek drama that we have today, of, of its good versus evil, absolute conflict is still down to its purest. Now, coded in terrible, terrible acting most of the yeah, time. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. But, you know, what they refer to as ring psychology, which we refer to in our business as basically just storytelling arcs and stuff, and, exactly. and how you take the, the audience on a journey, whether that's a stand up comedian playing with an audience, or for us as performers on stage in standard straight up theatre that thing of what I enjoy most about it is the primacy of the audience that it is all it is so audience focused because for them where there are no arts council subsidies for pro wrestling if you're not putting bums on seats you're not feeding your family at the end of the week so it, yeah. it focuses the mind I think um, in terms of, of making sure you're getting the kind of product that people want to be seeing, and that you're you're telling interesting stories in compelling ways. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you know, it, like it's it's funny. You kind of yeah, you brought up that kind of correlation there, especially in terms of funding, because it's it's completely performer related, rather than um, I guess rather than like, you know, I mean, obviously the company is a, is is a thing, but like when it comes to theater, you've you've got a, you've got a company and or you've got a writer, yeah, and that's your draw. And a lot of the time, the performers aren't the draw as such. And I think that, you know, like I've gone to plays where I've seen, I've seen certain performers and I've seen them in a couple of different things. And I keep thinking, you know, they they didn't really do an awful lot there. And I've seen them in something else and they haven't done an awful lot. And I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're kind of coasting. And I think if you, like, if you look at pro wrestling, um, if if you are coasting in any way, you're not you're not putting bombs on seats, and people are really going to notice. And then you're accountable, and then you lose your spot. Yeah. And I guess for actors, there's not that fear as much. You know, if you've got a spot, you can keep it pretty easily. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, and that's what I love. I mean, they they got to go out there every night, and they got to really attack the audience, and not literally attack the audience, but sometimes, um, <laughs> and really just get get people wanting to pay to see them again because yeah. you can't miss that performer. And I think that's really admirable. Um, and you know you mentioned the greeks like like you know that's where that's where wrestling started and that's where theater started um probably about the same time and i think i think they really do go hand in hand they just yeah i'm just surprised that a lot of people haven't seen the correlations between but well, that's
0: i love i love saying to people you know i'm i'm big into this um, physical theater company based in north america who have all these different productions going on all around the world um ridiculously kind of uh, athletic and physical high flying acrobatic stuff like oh oh Cirque du Soleil. you go no no Wrestling, pro-wrestling, yeah, WWE. Pro yeah. uh, You're to go, oh, because they, they are. And they're, you know, world-travelling, putting bums on seats. There's an appetite for it there. I think it's wonderful. But that's just our own little personal... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <same way. laughs> it. <Like pushing. laughs> Infinitely more importantly, the next show up from Devious is one of the most exciting projects that's going to happen in Irish theatre this year, Night of the Living Dead. Where in the name of Jesus did this idea come from?
1: Um, Simply put, bums on seats. Um, and not, not in a kind of cynical way, but we wanted to do you know we've we've been making our own kind of we're making our own theater but at the same time we also realized that you, you can exhaust that beyond the point and you you've got to find either uh new writers or you know maybe work that you can kind of play around with a bit and I think Night of the Living Dead represented a really good opportunity to play around with something that was well established and had a good brand name but that we could put our own mark on it yeah um and like because I, I kind of battled it a little bit when we started developing it, I, I was I was a little bit cynical because the zombie thing is just it's just so fucking overdone. It's so overdone. But then I had to keep reminding myself, you know what? It hasn't been done in theatre really, and it hasn't been done in Irish theatre. So yeah. um, let's have a crack at it. And I think also fundamentally, it's it's a good it's a good story, and Jorge um, Romero has done a really good job <laughs> well you know <laughs> decreasingly but he, you know he, he did a good job in terms of like channeling a lot of social concerns through that drama and that was really exciting for me yeah. to be able to take that kind of story and go okay you know what like the draw for a lot of people here is going to be zombies but let's you know let's let's make it about society yeah. um, and I think that's when your kind of concerns as a theatre company and the teams that are important to you and your age group and what you want to address you, you can kind of get those things in there pretty comfortably without having to, um, you know, promote it based on just that stuff. You know, come see a play about immigration <laughs> and unemployment and, you know, the family unit. But it's like, okay, no, there's, there's zombies.
0: Yeah. Is it true you have updated it to a ghost estate in modern Ireland? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a, yeah ghost estate in, in modern modern Ireland. Um, which, you know, we when we first started developing it, we thought it was a really novel idea. And then I went to this... Um, I, I, I went to a... Um, Oh, I went to the zombie uh, kind of night that was in the back loft a couple of months ago and they were talking about Irish, you know, Irish zombie movies and the Irish zombie genre, which is pretty, pretty small. But they they posed that question. It's like, where where would you, where would you set an Irish zombie movie? And everyone was like, Ghost to the States. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I thought that idea was so novel. No, maybe so it's maybe a finger it's on the novel. pulse.
0: Finger on the pulse, that's all that is. Yeah,
1: but I mean, initially it was, you know, in 1968 for Romero's movie, it was a farmhouse. So we were thinking, okay, like it's... There's, a, there's something really interesting in the whole ghost estate thing because it's not quite rural and it's not quite urban you know you got these areas and you see so many of them Ireland that are just they're, they're like limbo
0: yeah
1: Um. and I thought that was a really interesting way to maybe approach the story as a place where somebody could be trapped especially in the context of those ghost estates where some of the houses are full yeah but lots of the rest of it is like a building site and then you've got these families who were sold this idea sold this kind of dream and they bought the houses and they're stuck there and that's kind of uh, I think that's
0: kind of the major inspiration for the setting of the show. I just think it's a spectacular metaphor to get into you know dealing with contemporary Themes here in Ireland, yeah. Because for me, you see the clamour all the time. But you know, where are the plays about the banking crisis? I don't want to see a play about the banking crisis. I certainly don't want to see a play about the banking crisis that involves a banker going through a marital breakdown because of the stress that is happening in his bank. I mean, if you're going to do something about like that, abstract it out a bit. Inject yeah. a little art into exactly. it. Exactly, like or a just, or or inject a few zombies into it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, right. okay, zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it. Yeah, and it, it was just this thing of um, I don't think it's enough for young theatre companies to. To just create your brand and then presume that your brand is going to attract bums on seats all the time. Um, It's it's also important to create shows that are going to, I I guess, that are just more mainstream. That are going to attract a wider audience. Um, And are going to attract an audience that wouldn't normally come to see a show. And I think that's really important. And I think that, you know, young companies shouldn't lose sight of that. In fact, all companies shouldn't really lose sight of that. Um, that you really do need to, you do need a hook for people because sometimes, I mean, you know, we love theatre, so it's enough to have a company and go. You know what? Like, I will see anything they do, yeah, because their work is always of such a high standard. But for people who aren't regular theatre goers or aren't theatre savvy, um, you, you want to give them a hook sometimes, and not in a cheap way. But like, I think this is a, uh, this is definitely a way of taking something that's a well-known property. But been able to approach in a completely different way, a diff- completely unique way, and cater to lots of different audiences.
0: Yeah, and also I don't think there's anything wrong with providing people a hook. As long as the work that that they eventually then come and engage with when you once you've hooked them in, as long as that works up to scratch, then I don't care. Exactly. How you get them in, yeah, you know? yeah.
1: I mean, it's yeah. Like I mean, there's there, I suppose there is there's lots of very kind of broad theatre that's that, there's a whole other market there. and That's cool. I mean, we're, we're definitely like the size of our company. We're not enough to be able to. You know, put on these kind of, <clears throat> I guess, uh, giant shows. Um, so this one was like, well, you know, it's going to be a bit of a bit of a challenge because it's definitely bigger in scale than anything we've done before. Yeah. You know, we're we're used to doing smaller scale shows, um, and we haven't done anything this big in quite a while. And it's certainly bigger than anything we've done before. But we just figured that, you know, it's it's the right time to probably do something like this. Certainly thematically, and then simply put, you know, it's it's just a really good way of getting bums on seats. And um, you've got
0: a property that a lot of people have a certain regard for yeah you I get the vibe from you that you've got big plans for this one that you feel like this one could could go
1: I think it could go yeah definitely I mean we yeah that's why we of we set up a website for it because we just didn't want it we wanted it to be its own uh, I guess brand Um, you know we wanted it to be its own uh, entity and that potentially, yeah, it can, it can travel and it can it can move. I mean, right now, you know, we're just, like a lot of companies, we're not in a position to, to tour the work. I mean, yeah. it's too big to tour at the moment. Um, certainly something in the scale of the Night Live and Dead, but we're looking at the first run of it as certainly being um, kind of like, you know, a seed for hopefully future productions. Because I think it's going, to, our take on it certainly is going to stay relevant for another couple of years.
0: Yeah, and then, so next year, eight weeks straight on the gaiety?
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's already done. Paperwork, <laughs> yeah. Um
0: Well, talking about the, the practicalities of touring it and this eight-week run of the gaiety next year, um, in terms of getting a show like this up uh, and running, you guys are running a funded campaign, and we on the podcast, as you know, every week, kind of plug funded and the whole idea of crowdsourcing stuff. What, apart from the obvious of just providing the cash to actually make it happen, what does the funded campaign bring to a production like this? Um it
1: it brings an awful lot, like it brings a lot more awareness. I think. I mean, there's a lot of projects, certainly last year, that I became aware of because of funded, um, which I thought was really is really cool. Because um, I think for for a theatre company, because you've got to put so much work into a funded campaign, hmm. and um, and we've been watching how a lot of other companies approached it, and we were kind of you know quietly taking notes because we figured we'd get to a point where we would need to utilize one, which we did. Um, and it was kind of heartening to see that, you know what, your funding campaign can actually be a really good promotional tool. So it's not like you're working so hard on the fundraising aspect of it, which you have to do. But it means that you're not necessarily taking your, you know, you're not taking your foot off the gas in terms of the promotion of the actual piece itself. Yeah. So that's been a really, it's been really nice to be able to do the two of them in tandem a little bit. Um, it does create an awareness. And also, like, for a company that... In our case, where we're trying to focus on, on on building audiences. It really allows an audience to engage with a work, and engage with a company in a way that they mightn't have otherwise. And we've taken it a step further. And one of our awards is actually like to be on the stage. Yes. Um, which nobody has bought so far. Um, but if somebody is feeling a little bit flush and they want to be on the stage, it's a good opportunity. But we just thought that was a, it was something. It was something different, and I guess it's another way of getting people engaged with the show. I mean, I like the idea that somebody could pay a certain amount of money towards production, help fund the production, and then they can get to muck in with the cast and
0: crew. Yeah, well, that's what I love about it, is that it's you get people investing in a show literally, but also kind of, you know, metaphorically, that they feel that they are more invested in this show, that they feel part of it. And I love the idea that that's what these funded campaigns are doing, that they're getting people, like you say, really engaging with the work and feeling a sense of ownership, both literal and figurative, uh, so that then... They're more likely to go and tell their friends, hey, we're going to go and see the show that I'm involved in yeah. or whatever. Because they are involved in a yeah, way. Yeah,
1: it really helps. I mean, like, one of the first uh, funded campaigns that we really um, saw in action was the Solstice one last year. Like Solstice runs um, as part of um, Cork Midsummer Festival. And um, we were performing and during that. But those those guys that are, are, are running Solstice, they'd set up a funded campaign. Um, and it was really cool seeing how that kind of progressed. And it was the first one that we'd kind of like, you know, we'd contributed any money towards. Yeah. And we were part of. And yeah. then kind of when we went down and we did the festival it, there was a really good community atmosphere and a really good vibe there and it was really inspiring because we thought you know that's 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 what you want to do in theater you want to get you want to have people feeling that they've got a stake in what's happening not just as an audience member but as as a lover of arts in general and solstice is coming back again this year and it's going from strength to strength and we'll have the big residency
0: and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah
1: th- yes yeah. it's, it's it's really um yeah it's really starting to uh starting to build up we did it last year and was Probably the best thing we did last year I mean it was one of it was just it was so much fun and there are so many creative people doing so much wonderful work Um, and you know Solis is the four curators that are running it they've done such an amazing job of putting it together so we're very lucky to be doing another we're doing another show down there in June
0: is that an official announcement
1: exclusive to the podcast I'm
0: probably not supposed to but yeah Uh, say Say nothing no it's fine
1: (laughs) but we're really excited about going back down there I mean it's such a great hub of activity down there and um, it was really exciting to be part of it last year. There's so many young companies making such good work down there, um, and not just in Cork, but coming from you know all over Ireland. So it's going to be fantastic to be part of it again.
0: Are there any other exclusive announcements you are allowed to make
1: today live on the podcast? I don't know. Um, I'm going to be on the um, the Play On Playwriting Initiative as part of Dublin Theatre Festival,
0: which is enormous.
1: Which is yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it, but I just don't know how much I can. I actually don't know. I don't know that much, really. So I can't like say loads, but I know I on it. I just hope I don't get kicked off on it because I.
0: <laughs> if I said this, if we're responsible, I'll bring you on my own special yeah. playwriting course. It'll be Thanks fine. You can that'd just write good. little, you know, shopping lists. So for me, it'll be absolutely awesome. fine. Awesome,
1: that'd be great. Yeah, so that's that's something that I'm
0: really really excited about. Uh, what well, just seems like a, an amazing opportunity. And just and again, we're talking seals of approval, having the stamp of Dublin Theatre Festival yeah, on a program is. You know, pretty huge. Yeah, it's
1: going to be cool. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, And it's going to be just a cool way of engaging with
0: other writers, I hope, and kind of seeing work and get, getting free tickets. <laughs> it seems like you've a really busy few months ahead between the Solstice Show and Night of the Living Dead and this as well. If people want to stay in touch with you and the company and everything that's going on, where's the best place to get you? Is it the, the company website, Facebook, Twitter? Um yeah, those those
1: three. All, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above, yeah. Uh, yeah, dvstheatre.com is our website. That's kind of where, I guess, everything goes through. And we're doing doing two productions in the next couple of months, so um, we'll be channeling everything through that. And then we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. We thought we were the first Irish theatre company on Twitter, but we realised Performance Corporation bet us to the punch. Those goddamn techno savvy. I damn Performance it. Corporation. Oh, we, we were like, we were just lorded that one up for years. We were like, <laughs> it was all we had to cling on to We were the first Irish theatre company on Twitter. And then, like, Ken did a little bit of research and he's like, actually, the Performance Corporation won for like three months before us. God,
0: like, damn fuck it. it. <laughs> Well, look, it's brilliant. I'm very excited about all the stuff that's coming from you and the company over the next little while. As you know, I've already supported the campaign. Yeah, on thank you so much. Cause I think, no, because I do. I think it's going to be a great thing. We at Rise Productions are, uh, are big fans of you guys. And, uh, and we're really excited about seeing the show. Thank you so much for coming on and ha- chatting to us. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, the annoyingly talented John Morton. What a guy. Uh, so many exciting projects coming up for him over the next little while. Such an industrious little company they have going on there down at Kilkenny. And just a different angle on the kind of work that's being made around the country at the moment. I mean, we're aware of trying to maintain as much of a balance on this podcast as possible, whether that's a balance between male and female contributors or actors versus writers or directors versus producers or or whatever else. But also, we're we're very aware of the regional bias. And it's kind of the nature of the business that most of the stuff happens in Dublin, so most people are Dublin-based, but we are, over the coming weeks, looking to do a little bit more of a geographical spread around what we're doing, and obviously we're trying to reflect that in our listings that come at the end of every week, which brings us to, strangely enough, our listings at the end of this week. Uh, going on around the country at the moment at the Abbey Theatre is, again, the all-conquering Alice in Wonderland, which I'll be going to see this coming Monday evening, and uh, if you still haven't got enough of Philly McMahon in your life with that, uh, Red Bear Productions are doing Danny and Chantel Still Here, which is Philly's first play that's going on at Reraw at the Globe on George's Street um, and it's starring Stephen Jones and Eva Jane Gaffney, uh, two super, super actors, so that's definitely going to be well worth checking out as a nice little uh, companion piece to the big all-conquering Alice of Wonderland at the Abbey. Um, at Project, the Turnaround Festival is continuing at those five shows from Fringes over the last few years and there are great ticket deals there if you're going to go and see multiple shows, but also at Project, Rough Magic are back with The Housekeeper by the phenomenal Morna Regan, uh, who, apart from being an exceptional actress, is also so, a super, super writer. So, uh, I've heard only great things about that show. Um, and so, I think I'm, that's one I'm definitely going to be checking out. Um, at the Viking Theatre at the Sheds, we still have Tuesdays with Morrie. Uh, our father is at the Civic in Tala. Uh, the Gate have their new production of My Cousin Rachel, just opening. Um, at the New Theatre, men are from Stony Batter, women are from Fibsborough. Best title of any play in town around at the moment. Uh, that's from mailin Productions. At Smock Alley, uh, Pan Pan's A Dollhouse is continuing. At Bewley's Café Theatre, they have Joyst by Don Low Kelly uh, in the lunchtime slot, and also then in the evening slot, the dinner theatre slot, they have the picture of Dorian Gray. Um, and then at the Focus Theatre, uh, their show Before Vanishing, which is those four short Beckett plays, is on at the moment, and then next week they will have Hollywood Valhalla, which got such rave reviews earlier in the year from uh, Stuart Roach and, uh, and the gang there, and that will be the last ever production in the Focus building as we know it now, which is kind of uh, a bit tragic in many sense, um, but you can kind of, in some ways, understand the rationale behind it. It's uh, it's one of those small boutique venues where, in the current climate, as people want to say, uh, and with the way the arts council funding is going at the moment, that that kind of move towards models that are more self sustainable. I think the argument is that it just doesn't have the size or the the critical mass to to support itself. So while the focus company will continue, and the rest of this year's season will be played at alternative venues and they will continue on into the future. Uh, It's Home, as we know it, is finishing up next week, so if you have been a long-time supporter of The Focus, or even if you've never been and just heard all those amazing stories uh, throughout the years of the impact it has had on Irish theatre, maybe this week or next week is is your chance to go and, and sample it before it's gone and lost forever. Um, Get on down to see either those Beckett shows or else Hollywood Valhalla next week. Um, As we move around the country, Bag Lady by Frank McGuinness is coming to the Watergate in Kilkenny, keeping with our Kilkenny theme for this week. And it's also touring around the country's many other venues as well, so uh, have a look out for that. Moving to Galway, uh, the Monica Lockman Ballet Company is at the Town Hall. The Cork Arts Theatre down in Cork has uh, John B. Keane's The Chastitute at the moment and, uh, and also those two touring productions from Fishamble. Uh, Sonia Kelly's Show in a Bag Show, The Wheelchair on My Face and Pat Kinnavan is still taking over the world before he goes into the Abbey. So look, that's us. That's episode 24 in the books. We will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus O'G McAnally. I'm Angus O'G We'll see you next week.